Technical Tuesday on Two Age Sojourner. Let's do this. Looking forward to it. Okay, Technical Tuesday, and uh, here's where we get into it. Um, I'm, uh, I've just sat down, poured myself a whiskey. I've given no pre-thought to this, and I'm trying to hit quite a heavy topic. So hopefully this doesn't end up in too much of a hash. I'm not even going to retake this thing. We're just going to go, and hopefully, you know, my my thoughts here are just uh, better out than in. You know, <laughs> hopefully you can work with what I'm saying, and hopefully it gives you something to think about. Hopefully it's helpful to you once you've decoded all the jumble and. Um, and uh, this stuff is just good to, to, to be thinking about, to uh, churn around, and um, I, I'm totally open to learn on all of this stuff, but I, I do feel that I have come to some level of conviction on it, and I did want to throw that out there. So what I'm talking about is uh, kind of what I started talking about uh, yesterday, if you haven't heard that podcast yet, or that episode yet. Um, I wanted to just deal further with um, the subject of... Uh, 1689 federalism, along with uh, some of my pickups, so to speak, when it comes to uh, those issues of of uh, covenant theology as uh, put forward by Meredith Klein, for example. Um, but really, it's 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 less a matter of Meredith Klein at some level, and more a ma- matter of just getting stuck on the Bible. Uh, on a few issues, which I think is just important to everyone, no matter what you feel about uh, Meredith Klein. If you care about covenant theology, uh, this should be uh, health or at least relevant to you to think about. Um, I mentioned yesterday just um, Brandon Adams, uh, a guy who's uh, writing a very helpful blog. And just, in, I think he's, I think I haven't even, I get the feeling I haven't even touched the surface of the stuff he's doing. I don't know much about Brandon at all. Really looking forward to, to getting to know him a little bit more. Um, but yeah, just a very sharp guy. You know, he's done his reading. Just very thankful for him, and he's interacted, as I say, with um, uh, some McLean stuff, and uh, is one of the driving forces behind uh, the 1689 Federalism website. Which is, um, you know, I'm a 1689 guy. We're part of the Fellowship of Reformed Baptists in New Zealand. Uh, uh, have been for for many many years, and uh, love love that fact. And so I just love any sharpening that we can do in terms of um, uh, thinking about covenant theology in light of the confession. Um, so anyways, with that with that said, I, th- I think probably what, what I'll do is I'll start with what's big for me, and then that will probably branch out into a million more little issues that also need clarification and need to be worked through at a, at a deeper level. Uh, maybe a lot of these I'll just say for Technical Tuesdays because they probably are all a little bit on the technical side. Um, but let me start with the big one. Basically, as I understand it, um, 1689 federalism is um, essentially a movement to to uh, well, it's a movement to restore a covenant theology that was held by the particular Baptists um, around the you know the, the framers of the 1689 Confession, the community of uh, particular Baptists from that time, and uh, the predominant covenant theology held by them. And uh, basically, it differs from your typical Presbyterian covenant theology that would that would have no problem in uh, talking about a single covenant of grace that is administered through um, various periods uh, all throughout the Old Testament, 
And, um, and so when you get to the new covenant, that's not like the first time we're hearing about the covenant of grace. That's just the new, the new administration of the covenant of grace. And so just in a super-duper ridiculously oversimplified argument, or at least summary over here, uh, typically when a, when a pedo-baptist is arguing along, you know, why do you baptize your kid? Well, um, it's, it's because of this overarching unity in the covenant of grace. We look back, we see uh, Abraham. He, uh, you know, he himself was um, part of this covenant of grace, but not only him, him and his children uh, received the sign. That was the Old Testament administration of the covenant of grace, or at least the Abrahamic administration. And so when we get to the new covenant, uh, we're, we're expecting to see um, the same covenant of grace now only administered with its um, signs of fulfillment rather than shadowing, rather than an actual change in the administration of believer and their children. And so you can see how this this whole idea of having a unity, a covenantal uh, unity in Old and New Testaments is important to the argument for infant Baptists. And, um, and so that... I think, as I said yesterday, I think that the, a big drive behind, uh, no doubt historically and and now, behind the uh, issue of the covenant theology for the 1689 federalism guys, is that they, you know, they'd broken away from from their uh, reformed brethren, you know, and, and had copied the confession of the Westminster explicitly so, wanting to make sure to show unity with the rest of the Reformed family. It just Obviously, the big issue on the table and the reason they were breaking away was this issue of baptism. So understandably, uh, it became the, the thing that they would actually that sort of develop a covenant theology uh, around um, why it is that they don't baptize their infants and why it is that they do um, only baptize those who, who believe. Um, and so that, that much of that is the theory behind why they changed so much of what they did change in the, in the uh, 1689 Confession. But anyways, leaving that aside for now, um, just wanting to get to my stickler. So just trying to give you a little bit of backup if you know uh, background, at least if you know nothing about this. Um, so it, what what essentially the 1689 Federalist guys have come along and, and, and said, and I'm you know, thinking historically or today, whatever, is, is just... Um, that we need to think of those moments that are typically thought of in covenant theology as administrations of the covenant of grace. They shouldn't be thought of administrations of the covenant of grace. They should be thought of as revelations, maybe, of the promise uh, of the new covenant. And the new covenant alone is the covenant of grace. That's That's almost a synonymous idea. Well, it is a synonymous idea. Uh, as I understand it, in, in this uh, articulation of Reformed theology, and um, and so you know what happened with Abraham. Well, he didn't have a; uh, he himself had a covenant of works given to him, uh, just just all, all sorts of uh, obligations to his covenant um, union, and uh, you know, so all of that is is um, is not the same in any way in its administration as the the covenant of grace or the new covenant. But of course, as we know, I mean, you know, as as Paul himself says, God preached the gospel to Abraham. So all those moments that are typically thought of as administration of the covenant of grace to Abraham really need to be thought of more as uh, promises or revelations of the promise 
of the covenant of grace, which is the new covenant. And how are they in the Old Testament then saved? Well, that would be, uh, as is often referred, that this retroactive um, application of, of what Christ would later achieve. Like back in time, uh, though it had not yet been done, it was retroactively appri- applied to the Old Testament saints so that they share in, in that which we uh, now have in the new covenant. So, you know, that that's kind of just a really, oh man, I know that uh, <laughs> I know that if I was listening to that, I'd probably be very unhappy with that summary. But um, so, just if you are a 1689, you know, hyper freak guy, just just relax. Okay, I'm sorry, I I did not mean that to be the the most awesome summary ever. But just give me something to start with over here, and we'll we'll clarify it as we go. Um, that at least just puts something on the table uh, for us to work with. And uh, gets us seeing where I think uh, there might be a problem for me, uh, just going along with that. But but even before I start off with my stickler technical Tuesday opinion, um, let me just say that like even on the, I hear that, and this is kind of I remember talking to Sam Rennie about this, and I, and I you know I said to him, okay, so listen, um, if I had to, if I had to say that the covenant of grace was being uh, typologically administered or retroactively administered, you know, uh, through the Abrahamic covenant, would would you be happy with that language? And he was like, "Well, you know, I'd feel like it's, it's not the. I'd, I'd prefer not to use it because I don't. I don't want to give any Presbyterian ammo. Uh, but yeah, you know, as long as we mean the same thing. And so on that note, it's like, oh my goodness, we're so close to one another. And so much of this, I just don't want to get caught up in stupid semantics at the end of the day. Uh, there's so much good, positive, beautiful theology out there. I don't want to get, I don't want to start eating eating my young, you know, and just and just looking inwardly and navel-gazing and that sort of thing. So I just, I have this real phobia of being too finicky on this stuff. So at, at one level, it's like, that's all we really need to say. You know, that that's good. I'm happy with that. That as long as, as long as Abraham is in the covenant of grace, um, as long as the covenant of grace is the thing that really does bring it all together, whether by re- revelation of the promise or by actual, you know, administration, you know, I'm actually kind of okay with that. The reason I actually do settle on the administration language, I do think that the the covenant of grace was administered um, through the Abrahamic covenant. Now I'm stating this very technically, and. Um, Maybe we'll get to unpack this, but I'm saying this in a particular way. The covenant of grace is administered uh, through um, the Abrahamic covenant, which was a typological um, covenant um, that uh, no doubt had some elements that started to allow for the later subservient Mosaic covenant. It had some typological Things about it that the seedbed laid in place that which would later be a clear echo of a covenant of works. I've, I'm definitely not denying that. But um, essentially, I mean, God walking between the pieces, ratifying the covenant, I don't think it can be denied that that is the promise, the promise of inheritance for, for Abraham was by grace alone. And everything that, that happens from that point on needs to be understood in, in light of that basic ratification paradigm. Um, so so there's there's that idea that I think just just in my reading of Genesis gets me to think that there is a you know Christ and his 
what he has done for his people, uh, the agreement that, that Christ has with these people, the covenant of grace, um, it, how can it not be administered uh, through this typological expression? I mean, I just it feels like that's the right language. Um, and that's more intuition than anything else at that point, I suppose. You just have to make a call on that stuff. But but then you get to the, the, the hot out sort of, um, you know, you go to the text and you see in Galatians, um, that which um, Paul is is arguing for. And that's where I really get stuck on my view. It's a, sort of like, you know, you're dragging your anchor along and then it hits a rock and then it's just, it's really hard to move once that anchor has found itself on, on this rock. The whole point of Galatians is that Paul is writing to refute um, these uh, men that are claiming to in some way be Christians yet simply wanting to be very Jewish about their Christianity. And so they're wanting to add obedience to grace, the works of the law, uh, to the blood sacrifice. As it was always done, they, they claimed, um, if you just look back to, you know, ever since Moses, we've, we've killed the bull, uh, the lamb has been slain, and, uh, and we've also, you know, we've had to obey to, to have to receive blessings so it's it's the blood so it's very like Roman Catholic or you know it's just the whole idea is uh, faith and works uh, need to work together and so Paul obviously comes out strong he's like dude you guys are totally going crazy uh, who has bewitched you uh, don't go along with this stuff uh, this is just it can never be by grace if it's not by works all the stuff in Romans um, it, sorry at least it, it can never be it's either got to be by grace or by works uh, can't be both. Um, and he's talking about the principle of inheritance. That's the big thing. Um, and then he gets to uh, this. This um, So we get to uh, Galatians chapter 3. And um, we see, you know, he's just foolish Galatians. Uh, it talks about the gospel being preached to, to Abraham. So everyone sees that um, in, in verse 8. Um, and then he, he goes on to sort of relate this whole thing via the, the covenants. Um, so he says in verse 15, To give a human example, brothers, even with a man-made covenant, no one annuls it or adds to it once it has been ratified. Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say, and to offsprings, referring to many, but to one, and to your offspring, who is Christ. Uh, this is what I mean. The law, which came 430 years afterward, does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God so as to make the promise void. Uh, for if the inheritance comes by the law, it no longer comes by promise, but God gave it to Abraham by a promise. So what interests me about that is that he is speaking, uh, his, his whole argument um, for it just feels like he might not have even made this argument if 1689 federalism was the way to go. Uh, and what I mean is, um, it seems, I mean, he, the whole, these guys are just saying, listen, you want to be truly Jewish? Then let's go back to Moses. Let's think, the, think about the gospel in light of Mosaic law. And Paul's calling them out on that. He's saying, listen, you know, you're not being Jewish enough. You've got to go back to the father of, of the Jews. You've got to go, you know, who started this whole thing off? Well, it was Abraham. And uh, you're, you're sort of saying that the Mosaic Covenant kind of annulled or made void that which went before it. But you're forgetting that 
the covenant that God made with Abraham was the gospel that God preached to Abraham. And uh, the way he says it, this is what I mean, the law which came 430 years afterwards, talking about the Mosaic covenant, does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God. So he's thinking in terms of a covenant, not just a promise being revealed through uh, 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 another law-based covenant. Um, he's thinking about a covenant that that is antithetical to the law. Uh, a covenant, I don't know, it just seems right to call it a covenant of grace. I mean, that would be the whole idea. Um, it seems like Paul's whole argument is that there is a there is a covenant of grace that came before a covenant of law that was given through Moses. And that covenant of grace is not um, made void or annulled simply because of the giving of the law afterwards, which they had misconstrued. It should have, as, as Paul says in Galatians 3.24, uh, been their schoolmaster to lead them to Christ so that they might be justified by faith. It basically... Um, should show them that they are like Adam and that they've transgressed the covenant and they have no hope but in this gracious promise, this gospel that God preached to Abraham and the promise revealed, I agree with the Reformed, the 69 Federalists there, that that um, the, the promise was revealed. But I would say even more than that, it was, it was uh, the, 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 that actual promise was then typologically administered. Uh, <laughs> the covenant of grace was administered uh, through the typological Abrahamic covenant. Um, so, you know, that is something that's big to me. I, it feels like it, Paul's argument loses its force if the Abrahamic covenant was also a covenant of works. I mean, think about that. It's like, then he's saying, listen, guys, the law, which came 430 years after the law, um, you know, and I realized there would still be nuance, you know, but it just it just doesn't have the same impact. The whole point is he's saying, listen, my gospel is the same essential gospel that has come through from the very beginning. And the law was given as a, it had a subservient place. It was there to to educate you. It was there to lead you and teach you something that you have misunderstood. You're basing your soteriology on a misunderstanding of, of why the law was given. It was there as a schoolmaster. And so that's that's his whole argument. So I don't know. It, that's a big thing for me. I feel like it weakens the exegesis. Oh, no, no that's a bad way to put it. It, it weakens what I see as Paul's big argument. And I, I think to weaken that argument is 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 bad. Um, it, it's sort of moving in the wrong direction. Um, so there might be a few you know ideas in response to that, and I'd love to hear them and interact with them. I know one of the one of the things that Sam mentioned, and I, I can't you know he might have written this down somewhere. I'm not sure, but um, he was just saying that something to the effect that um, you know it's just that Paul is drawing on the the promise revealed in the typology of the workspace covenant of Abraham versus, um, you know, this this uh, mosaic law uh, that, <laughs> yeah, that well, even as I say that, though, I mean that also had, you know, typology of the gospel there, and I don't know, it just it just doesn't seem to, like I said, it weakens the whole thing for me, and I feel like the whole he's setting up an antithesis there that makes his whole case, so. Um, anyways, that's just one thing out there in terms of, and the guy who got me onto that, by the way, was Klein. Uh, he helped me to see that in the text. Uh, it might have been Horton as well. I'm not sure. But just I remember coming to 
even just um, quite apart from from anything to do with 1699 federalism. I just remember coming across that and going, wow, that's that's definitely what Paul's doing. So yeah, I'm pretty much stuck on that until someone could show me a better way to, to see that passage. Um, maybe something that's related to this, and we're probably out of time for this uh, episode, but something related would be that, and I know um, Brandon didn't want to talk more about this, uh, the difference between a, a theological covenant and an exegetical covenant. As I think about it more and more, now, now let me just, before I say anything, I don't know where I first heard this. Someone, obviously, I must have been reading somewhere something that that um, got me onto this, this notion of there being this difference between a typological and exegetical covenant. Um, I think it was in Meredith Klein somewhere, but it may have been Lee Irons, and I, I texted, I emailed him or um, sent him a message and just to see, you know, where did he talk about this or whatever? He 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 seems convinced that he did talk about it somewhere in one of the episodes of the Glory Cloud podcast. I feel like I probably heard this way before the Glory Cloud podcast even came out. So maybe that's one of the things. I'm not going to troll through, you know, 100 episodes trying to find it. Lee couldn't remember where it was. Um, maybe there's something. I'll, I'll have another Google search, see if there's anything helpful out there. But essentially, this is what I mean. And I think it's quite a, quite a trans, uh, transparent uh, concept. Um, Everyone believes in an Abrahamic covenant. It's there. It's exegetical. It is what it is. It's just in the text. If you're a dispensationalist, you also believe that there's an Abrahamic covenant. Um, so there is something there that we have to distinguish from this greater theological system that we have put together uh, under the the term covenant of grace. It's a it's a theological construct. Is maybe the best way to say it. It's a factoring in of more than just what you see in in um, in Genesis, um, and it it means more than what you see just in the Abrahamic covenant. And so, you know, as you think about the Davidic covenant, the Noahic covenant, the um, just the New Covenant, all of these things, they are all going to have their place in building up this greater construct known as the covenant of grace. That's what I mean. There is a difference between an exegetical covenant and a theological covenant. And it's probably one of the things lurking in the background here for me in that I hear the, the 1689 Federalist guys talking about the, the new covenant being the covenant of grace. And um, like I, they might know that there is a difference there, but it's almost like they're reducing that difference. And um, and they're actually saying that I don't know if they are saying this, but this is kind of one of the things I'd like to get to the bottom of. Are they saying there is no theological construct that you only you actually just want to get rid of the term covenant of grace? It's just let's just go with new covenant, which I feel would be just a very bad move um, because of this whole paradigm. Um, same thing applies for the covenant of works revealed through the garden covenant, echoed again in the Mosaic covenant. Um, uh, represented in the covenant of redemption. I mean, you can't just get rid of the theological constructs and and have anything left of, of, of Reformed theology. You have to have the exegetical covenants back up the theological constructs. That's, I think, what needs to happen. But maybe that's bridging into another show. And I know Brandon, as I say, already wanted to talk more about that. So um, I think we'll probably uh dip into that at some point in the future but it probably is it comes into play in this passage simply because here you see Paul referring to an exegetical covenant preceding another exegetical covenant but he is showing that through the theological construct 
that is, you know, I think in his understanding as well as ours in this idea of the covenant of grace, that the covenant of grace, Christ with these people, the, the redemption that he gives is, um, is as administered through, through this Abrahamic exegetical covenant typologically as it is um, through the new covenant, but now with no typology, now, with, now only with, um, in terms of fulfillment. But that doesn't undermine the essence of the administration in both of those covenants, and so that's kind of why it matters. Um, anyway, so I realize that's that's. If you have never heard any of this before, it must be sounding like an absolute freak show right now. But hopefully, if you have gotten into this, that would make some sense to you. Um, I don't really care if you understand because it's Technical Tuesday. This is when you allow me to be a nerd, and I just nerd out without apology. So whatever. Happy Nerd Day to you. You know, so just if uh, if this didn't make sense at all, then just ignore me, skip to the next uh, one. But yeah, look, uh, I am trusting that we could start a dialogue of nerds on covenant theology and that maybe you could get into it if you are uh, tuning in regularly and and uh, hopefully uh, it will help you to understand the scripture, which is really what this is all about. But like I say, you know, even with that, in place, oh my goodness, it's so small of a difference in terms of the functional endpoint, you know, and and so let's just keep that in mind, you know, we're we're really argue, arguing on very small points, um, and so I suppose I suppose it does make more of a difference when you then want to baptize your child or something or your infant, which I don't want to do, so I don't really care anyway, so that's my thing. All right, you can tell I'm tired. <laughs> I'm done. Hopefully that made some sense. Uh, see you tomorrow. I'm going to get some co-hosts to help me out soon. Uh, but hey, thanks for, for dialing in. And uh, bless you. Have a great Tuesday or whenever you're listening to this. Mm-hmm.